Welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things substrates, polka dots, and Web3. Before we begin today's episode, we have a community conference coming up, Polkadot Decoded. There's going to be talks from Gavin Wood, Rob Habermeyer, and a bunch of other members of Parity, Web3 Foundation, and ecosystem teams. This conference is geared towards all audiences, so not just developers or engineers, um, but really anybody who wants to understand Polkadot better or um, get involved in the ecosystem in any way. So the conference is on December 3rd, and you can sign up for free at decoded.polkadot.network. Today on Relay Chain, we have Leslie Chuma from Equilibrium. She's the head of business development there. Can you give yourself a quick intro about um, your background and what you do at Equilibrium? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Joe, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. I do business development and also marketing for Equilibrium. And um, I arrange... Uh, our GTM. I'm pitching uh, our project on a regular basis to all different kinds of stakeholders. Those are both clients, potential clients, partners, um, multipliers, influencers. So uh, I have a, a lot of active communication going on. Uh, I meet a lot of very interesting people, and I hear a lot of the top developments that are going on in, in our space. So it's a pretty exciting job to do. Yeah. So I want to start um, a little bit outside of specific blockchains, um, because you have quite a background in political science. And so kind of like over the last, say, two decades, there's been a big shift in power from stuff that used to be exclusive to nation states that now like big tech companies have. And so to what extent do you see the tech industry and like internet industry as a player in international relations? Mm -hmm. So it's actually kind of funny that you're asking me this question, because in fact, I am a political scientist by background. So my understanding uh, is that um, if you look at the progression, okay, we've got web one, which is actually just about basic uploading information. So it's one way information streams. And you have web two, or dot com which is essentially involving exchanging information in two directions, okay, a two-way process. And that also involves commerce and all of the online shopping that, that we've been seeing. And if you look at those two, then the next step is Web3, of course, which is our interest, and that's powered by blockchain. And what that actually means is verifiability and interoperability. It's peer-to-peer interactions and cutting out intermediaries. So it actually goes beyond classical commerce and, and even capitalism, I would say. And in my view, the role of Web3 and tech in international relations and, de and development is actually huge. I also think that it's largely uncredited. So I think that um, your question is very relevant and we should take a deeper look at this. So in my opinion, it's not a co coincidence that Web3 is sometimes compared to a borderless global society where people have the same chances. And in terms of development and the balance of powers, um, both within and between societies, I think that the implications for blockchain technology are huge. So this tech jump that we're observing right now is catapulting new actors onto the world stage and forcing established monopolists to rethink their business models uh, in order to stay on their toes. And it actually ends up being a little bit like a system of checks and balances. So specifically, if, um, let's say, the previously rich and advanced industrialized societies had the say on the world stage, uh, together with some leading brands, 
I think there's a clear trend that this new technology, namely blockchain, is, is actually empowering individuals with no particular means. And especially those that have been, I would say, disempowered until now and even cut off from some of the main advantages of modern industrialized society. And it's giving them more influence and access to, to participate. And I think that this trend is going to grow as the tech continues to develop and become more mainstream. So if you take an example of fintech, um, there are a lot of people who, for example, in Africa have been without bank accounts until now. And now all of a sudden, as soon as cell phones and blockchain have appeared, they've, they're getting both credit cards and also um, immutably documented account balances. And with DeFi, they can go a step even further than that and forgo bank accounts and opt to put their assets in crypto without having to keep them in national banks uh, with the currencies and all the uh, limitations that are attached to that. So I think it's interesting to observe that as soon as an impactful case like this arises, big monopolists who've previously ignored the upstart blockchain start to find themselves compelled to suddenly take this development seriously and to start their own initiatives in this direction because they realize that if they don't, they're going to lose their advantages uh, without delay. In your opinion of just backing up a little bit, even like five or 10 years before blockchain's quote unquote maturity now, but I mean, companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook mm -hmm. control like information, data centers, means of payments and communication that was previously reserved only for like a nation state. And so mm -hmm. like when we, when you talk, I just want to give some context to like when you talk about, you know, blockchain challenging or being a check and balance on monopolists, I guess like the first thing when, when you say monopolist, like the first thing that comes to mind is like Google. Mm -hmm. But I'd be interested in like how we even got to this point where Google is such a powerful entity and why it's important to challenge it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that would be like a podcast in itself. But what I will say is that I think that Google, for example, is in, in some, it's a kind of ironic um, appearance of the new technology development, because on the one hand, it's liberating, because it gives you the chance to find your own information, let's say by Googling, and to sort of spontaneously define your own realm. But at the same time, it makes us sort of dependent on those resources. And I think that there's always a sort of double-edged sort. And in fact, I would even say that that's one of the reasons why this technology is both extremely empowering and also to be taken with a grain of salt in the sense that we have to be very careful about how we not only use it, but how we foresee employing it um, in, the, in the future. And I think that, in fact, that's one of the reasons why it's important to include people with different backgrounds in the um, implementation of this technology, because I think that... Um, if you're not, let's say, purely technical, then uh, the chances are that people can anticipate better what kind of maybe even dangers lie ahead with this. But I would say that my overall take on blockchain is that it's a liberating technology and that it actually works against monopolies and, um, you know, the, the overriding influence of certain particular brands. And I think we're going to see that that will balance out even with, with big names like, like Google as well. Yeah, it's interesting the verb you chose there at the beginning that Google allows you to find your own information, um, but it's really kind of like what they let you discover, but it doesn't actually let you own or control your own information. Right, that's true. Well, that's actually one of the tasks of Web3, as far as I'm concerned, is that we can at least to a greater extent than in the past uh, with blockchain in the long run control our own information because, um, well, in fact, if we look at GDPR, that's obviously one of the options that's already uh, being um, fixed in law. 
But um, I think that the immutability is also something which gives us a lot of security in terms of maintaining our own information. And um, it can replace, obviously, official registries, uh, government documents. And I think that that actually has an over, I would say, a predominantly positive impact because it can also, I think, ensure people uh, in a figurative sense. Uh, it can also register things like births, deaths, property, etc. And that's something that actually, even if it sounds basic, is not a given across the world. So that's already a simple example of how this technology can be very empowering. Yeah. So like when I interrupted you originally, you were talking about um, like banking the unbanked and kind of like where Web3 comes into challenging these monopolies. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to continue uh, where you're going with that? I just wanted to say as a, as a last point when, when I was um, you know, giving the example of how uh, this technology can kind of introduce uh, quantum leaps in, in development that people have had, especially in societies where they haven't gone through all of the previous steps of, let's say, Web 1 and Web 2, at least not on, the, on a wide scale. What's interesting is that we're seeing now as a result of these developments that some of the large brand names, let's say in credit cards, are keying into this process and they're actually really realizing that if they don't um, start taking blockchain as a technology and what it can enable uh, seriously, then they're actually going to lose out uh, and they're going to miss the curve. And that's something interesting because we've seen, for example, one of the clients um, recently has actually started an initiative to sort of key into these developments and to get into societies that have um, technologically not advanced as far as, let's say, in quote-unquote, industrialized societies, because they know that, again, they need to be in there, they need to be in the scene to not miss out. And that's interesting, because that's actually making those big giants sort of rethink their plan. And that's also, that's one of the ways you can see the impact this technology is having. Nobody can ignore it. Yeah, so you wrote a book about the European Union and political community. So, um, I mean, I think we all agree, um, or at least most people listening to this podcast agree that there are lots of flaws in nation states and these large societies of nation states. But mm -hmm. what we are doing with Polkadot is kind of building this network of sovereign blockchains. And so we do have this like kind of community of communities, uh, which is very similar to like NATO or the EU. Um, mm -hmm. And so even though there are a lot of flaws with these large nation states or monopolies, like there are still things we can learn from them. So what similar trends or challenges do you see in Web3 when you think about comparing it to um, like your background and like research in political communities? Okay, well, that's a very interesting and also provocative question. Um, the book that you're referring to is about the crisis of the European Union's constitution and the search for common ground uh, in which to build the expanded EU and to unite um, very disparate states, which actually became even more diverse after that union expanded when the Eastern European member states joined. But uh, I think the point is here and why I actually mentioned what it's really about is that there is actually a common denominator and overlap here. And I think the task is if we want to draw a parallel to Web3, uh, it's still about integration and interoperability. So it's the idea of a social contract that goes beyond the borders of individual countries' law and the differences um, that they have as sovereign nation states and establishes a common platform. So a constitution as a modus operandi to unite the interests of those states and to create a codified framework uh, of common values, which they can use to work together, a system which which generates their, well, which, which guarantees their rights and um, 
also procedures for interoperation. And I'd actually say that the agenda of Web3 is similar. So it's also about creating a codified framework a kind of um, common infrastructure which individual actors can plug into and use. And the key, I think, is that in Web3, that codified guarantee means that verifiability replaces blind trust. Uh, so we've got that topic again. And I think that to your question about what, let's say, we can learn from nation states in implementing Web3, so let's say that the goal of Web3 is to build a community of sovereign systems rather than isolated sovereign systems, right? So that means that they should be decentralized and act sovereignly, but at the same time, there should be a, a common basis, a community and not isolation. So the question becomes, I think, how to create that unity. And if we're looking to nation states sort of as a you know, point of reference for an example, then what that means for me is that we need to reject unilateralism and bilateralism and think of multilateralism, or maybe even more appropriate would be the kind of community that the European Union represents, which means that every individual state, or again, to draw the parallel business or blockchain project, has its own program, but at the same time, common concerns and goals that are achieved by cooperation in the ecosystem. And so on the level of the individual citizen or the user in the blockchain ecosystem, that legitimacy is achieved best by trustless and verifiable processes. And that's, in fact, the exact uh, advantage of blockchain. Um, that's how it eliminates unnecessary intermediaries that have lost their basis of legitimacy, essentially. So if we continue this parallel with political science, then I'd like to mention Rousseau's social contract, which is uh, that it actually, you know, its premise is that it only makes sense for a community to support a system that actually serves their interests. So Web3's proposition of governance by the people and a peer-to-peer -peer interaction without middlemen is in some way kind of an heir of this idea. It's the idea that you are willing as a user to do your role as an administrator, to govern, to build a system, as long as it still serves your interests but not anymore when um, there are product or power monopolies or unnecessary intermediaries in between who you don't necessarily uh, need because they don't serve the interests of the online community and the users in the most optimal, optimal way. So I would say that that's sort of my take on, on the comparison because I think that it's legitimate and there is one. And I would even say that equilibrium plays a role here if I, if I take that parallel a little bit further. So in the context of the Polkadot ecosystem on which we're building, um, we're looking to support unity and, and group problem solving. And one of the ways that that works is through Parity's Substrate Builder Group. Well, there are other initiatives as well, like a task of defining crypto standards in cooperation with other ecosystem projects. And that's something, in fact, that we will shortly be delving into. And I think that in terms of our role in supporting the goals of uh, Web3 for the user, we're helping them to unite their assets, to give them maximum leverage via cross-chain liquidity and lending, whereas earlier their assets were isolated on individual protocols. So that's a very concrete example of, of this parallel of how that works. I think the point in all cases is that these initiatives promote cooperation and add value that's more than the sum of the parts. So everyone benefits instead of just a few isolated actors. I think that's the point of Web3. Yeah, and one of the like interesting places where this analogy kind of diverges or, or falls apart is that as a kind of like user or a citizen in like nation states, you can typically only be a member of one of them. And in, in Web3 or Polkadot, you could actually be a, like an active participant in multiple as part of like the same system. Exactly. 
And I think that's something that it's evolving to um, even within Web3, because we're actually already in Web3. But uh, if we look at it, let's say, from the example of DeFi, again, as the technology evolves, that progression is also developing and um, the empowerment is, is expanding. Uh, so as the technology does. So it's a, it's a very interesting development. Yeah. So, I mean, like talking about the, the utility or like the functionality expanding, uh, Web3 so far is still very developer focused. And, and a lot of that is because it's still so early. So a lot of, a lot of this has just been building infrastructure and abstractions. But as we get more mature and, and expand this, can you talk about the roles that you see, why it's important to have people with more diverse skills? And you kind of like mentioned this earlier that we need people with a lot of different backgrounds and perspectives. Um, so can you talk about kind of like going beyond the developer-centric Web3? Mm-hmm, sure. So I actually think that uh, current tech developments are going to determine uh, the future in, in the sense that, um, well, these, these tech developments are very far-reaching and encompassing. So obviously what corresponds to that is that we need all kinds of people with different backgrounds to get involved, both in planning and brainstorming about the implications and the reach of the technology, and I would say not least so that we don't get in trouble with it, so, it does, so that we don't make mistakes, um, you know, and, and develop things that can get out of our hands. But um, beyond that also, that basic concern, I think that since the developments that will follow the lead of this technology will influence everyone, we also need more people to get excited and involved about what they can mean and what they can offer and to develop that. And I mean not only technically to develop it, but also in terms of the kinds of use cases and applications to real life and business. Because in fact, these seem to me to be tasks that are more suited for social scientists than for for developers. It's not about the technical aspects in themselves. It's about uh, sort of the various different applications and, uh, you know, what what kind of impact they can have. So by the same token, I think that engineers can't always explain the implications of their technology. And we need other perspectives uh, to explain it to people more broadly and also to build the bridge. Uh, and get those people on board and excited about the potential uh, that the tech offers. Because in fact, most of the people who we need to address are not tech in their background. Yeah, so I think we're both in positions in our organizations where you know we're not developers or, or engineers. So what do you think are the best ways to go about bringing, like building those bridges and bringing in new people? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think the first uh, the first thing I'd like to note here is that I'm personally pretty excited to be among the first interdisciplinary people who are entering blockchain and DeFi, uh, because I really do believe it's going to be extremely influential uh, in changing the world economy and changing society, creating new freedoms, um, turning around established norms, and also certain monopolies and and power schemes. Uh, But in terms of new people entering the space. I think that uh, this is a process that's going to happen on several fronts, essentially simultaneously, and probably it actually isn't going to need too much conscious effort. So what I mean here is I think that blockchain and crypto are becoming more and more mainstream, and there's a lot of evidence for that. So if you just look, for example, at something very recent, um, PayPal has just uh, launched a new service that enables customers to buy and sell and hold cryptocurrency directly from their from their accounts. So obviously this is one example of how mainstream it's getting and just alone this development is obviously going to have huge impact across a wide spectrum of industries and not just in terms of, you know, PayPal and let's say the price or supply of, of, of Bitcoin. But the point is that as the scope and adoption of blockchain and in my case DeFi grows, 
it's automatically going to draw in more people from different walks of life because I think that the mainstreaming is going to happen in the same way that it did with with the dot-com revolution. You're going to have blockchain apps becoming so essential that no one is going to be able to ignore them anymore. And then the expanded roles uh, that bring in new people systematically are going to become really commonplace and not an exception anymore. And I think that that's what we're seeing if we look at previous developments like dot-com where there are people involved in numerous industries who uh, were enabled by that development and essentially are not necessarily involved in executing the core product in in the given industry. So I think that that's a a parallel example. At the same time, though, I would also say that it makes sense to actively recruit and add interdisciplinary people to the teams even before that mainstreaming happens. And I think that it's also important um, to improve acceptance in developer teams of uh, of non-technical people and, and their role. Because again, I think that those people are very key in building the bridge to um, DLT's wider audience. And that is a non-technical audience that's specifically focusing mostly on enterprise and, and finance. Um, I would also say that I think a cultural change has to happen, uh, not only you know within tech teams, but also among the wider audience because um, and this includes, by the way, potential employees uh, for, for blockchain and DeFi companies. And while this is already underway, I think it needs to become more encompassing because people need to realize that these technologies are relevant wide scale and, and not just interesting for tech enthusiasts. Very soon, I think that this technology is going to transform our lives and our businesses so fundamentally that almost no one and nothing is going to be left untouched. And that's when it becomes so mainstream, uh, you know, that it's normal to work in the branch with no with no tech background. But what I do think is that before that happens, the media could do a lot to promote more of an understanding for the impact of these technologies beyond just, you know, niche uh, interest and, and audiences. The problem here is that this is a little bit of a catch-22 because the media tend to pick up on pre-existing demand and awareness, and that actually still needs to be developed uh, among the public at large. Yeah, it's hard to create this kind of demand when nobody knows what it is. So um, you kind of have to like... (laughs) show them and kind of like compel people to, to look into it because it's just so useful. And yeah, I, I think you're right that it's getting to the point where it's going to fundamentally change a lot of things. And just, I mean, I remember a few years ago looking at these uh, exchanges like Ether Delta, and it was like impossible to use. It was just a mystery. Um, uh, uh, but now, you know, I think like, you know, some of the decentralized exchanges were having more volume than Coinbase because right. it's just like, you know, swap this for that, and it's it's super easy. You don't even really need to know that it's blockchain or anything. It just kind of works. And so, I, I think like as these experiences develop and, and improve and, and get more polished, then people won't even really need to know that they're using blockchain. It's just going to be changing how things work under the hood. That's exactly the point. And I mean, it's sort of what we're still seeing in the transition period is that it's a slightly double-edged sword because cutting out intermediaries means that the, the final user has to do more themselves and, of course, takes more of a risk in the beginning if you don't know what you're doing. But <laughs> at the same time, I agree with you that I think that those sort of difficulties in the beginning are, 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 are being solved progressively. And I think that as that happens, yeah, you're not even going to notice anymore that you're using something that's based on blockchain tech. And that's when it's going to become... So essential that actually everyone's already going to be involved. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I, I agree with your take that there needs to be more interdisciplinary people and bridge builders, but I'm also biased because I, I am one of the interdisciplinary people. So. <laughs> yeah, so like when we talk about integrating blockchains into these systems, um, how do you view the balance between like integrating with a system where blockchain just kind of becomes some part of a pre-existing system versus just kind of throwing out the system and replacing it entirely with something blockchain-based? Well, this is a little bit um, distant from my current DeFi focus, because I think that this is a question which is more about sort of enterprise DLT. And I'd like to address it from from that point of view, because um, one of my uh, previous companies uh, was specialized in enterprise DLT. It's a company called Insolar, which uh, I worked for before I entered DeFi. And actually, what they do is enterprise blockchain, and they build, they're building a better technology to, to serve enterprise block, blockchain. So my learning from that context was that it's actually not necessary to replace legacy systems uh, altogether, at least, well, in the beginning, um, you don't have to do it completely and immediately. And that's, in fact, really empowering because it means that you can simplify wide-scale adoption with that in order to help companies explore and realize the benefits of this technology. So essentially what you can do in the first step is to just connect legacy systems to blockchains via uh, APIs. And, you know, for the first instance, this is enough to at least enable uh, some quite game-changing innovations like uploading documents from those systems to the blockchain. And with further integration, you can get a two-way communication going uh, that can take place where uh, the blockchain can also sort of answer, communicate with the legacy systems and send back information and, and signals and prompts to them. And that's what we actually call the supply chain of information, which is in fact the motor uh, behind the new economy that's forming now based on blockchain. And in fact, uh, there's a prediction that data is destined to become the new oil and that immutable peer-to-peer -peer systems will enable that. And what that implies for regular business operations, like if you take something that's, you know, like as complicated as classical supply chain with its, with its data flows, that can become automated and trustlessly secured to such an extent that it really surpasses anything that we've seen to date in terms of optimizing efficiency. And I think that the implication of this in terms of, you know, what you can do for legacy systems or based on legacy systems is that this will create entirely new business cases and jobs already and give industry a turbo advantage in, in terms of maintaining effective operations, So, which is, of course, especially true if it's built on the kind of uh, advanced uh, blockchain 3.0 technology that Polkadot is, is creating, which is scalable enough to, to serve those enterprise needs. I mean, like getting into equilibrium. So like, yeah, you used to work in supply chain and, and what was your motivation to switch into working in DeFi and, and with the equilibrium team? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, um, let me, let me um, jump a step back and say how I got into this in, in the first place. So I actually got interested in blockchain when I was living in China in 2017 at the height of the ICO wave. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I got involved, in fact, in the enterprise blockchain space, as I mentioned, with that unusual startup called Insolar. And while I was working for them, I started as the head of PR, and then I took the lead uh, in in business development. And in that capacity, in those uh, you know, in that double role, I researched a lot of applications for blockchain, including crypto as a borderless asset and the potential that DeFi has to empower people on a wide scale as an alternative to classical finance. 
And I thought this was really interesting. I also understood that interoperability is the next big thing in blockchain in terms of the technical capacity, because in fact, a lot of you know new innovations were already solving scalability, uh, among them, of course, um, in solar. But the interoperability obviously was a key thing. And that's in fact um, what Equilibrium is building on, on interoperability. So both literally in terms of using Polkadot substrate as its base technology, and also figuratively in terms of its uh, products and mission. So in my next career move, I decided to make the switch to, to DeFi with Equilibrium. And I'd like to say that, um, well, Equilibrium with its, with its particular mission is actually promising to do something uh, really exciting for, for DeFi. So uh, this got me very interested. And what, they are, what, are, what we're proposing to do, actually, is what we've got right now is we see that individual blockchains and assets are siloed. So again, if you want to draw a parallel here, they're siloed in the same way as previously the individual companies that we're connecting with blockchain to help them communicate. And so um, what that means is that in the context of DeFi, we see that almost 100% of the current DeFi market resides on Ethereum. But at the same time, that protocol is still plagued by a lot of technical limitations, while at the same time... Ethereum is actually only a small part of total crypto. It's only about 12%. So what that means is there's still a lot of market potential out there if we can connect and enable cryptocurrencies cross-chain. Uh, and in fact, that's necessary to make DeFi truly decentralized, true to its name, and to help it reach its, its total market potential by enabling what we're doing, which is pooled lending, along with multi-asset collateral and a user interface, which helps you manage your accounts across all different kinds of, of major protocols. So I think that this is a really key move here. And if you consider that right now the DeFi market compiles $13 billion, but it's $13 billion in diverse cryptocurrencies, that's, of course, on the one hand, a very impressive volume. But at the same time, it's relativized since those assets are still isolated and they need to work together across chain, which is, in fact, exactly what Equilibrium is facilitating. So I think that's an exciting value proposition for DeFi, and it can convince me of Equilibrium's potential. Yeah. So kind of going back to the last question, even uh, about like supply chain integrating with enterprise existing systems, you know, I mean, I guess like I asked about integrating with existing systems versus replacing them. and it sounds like the answer could be both, right? That like for some some things like enterprise, you want to integrate blockchain to make processes more efficient. Um, but also like in the DeFi area, there's entirely new things that you can go and create where it's not really like integrating in, into anything that exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like with Equilibrium, I guess like you chose to build on Polkadot, and like it, I mean like the interoperability part is is obvious. But like, what kind of role do you hope to play in the Polkadot ecosystem? So I think that to, to answer that question, the first thing I'd like to say is um, how I understand Polkadot's ethos. Um, so I understand that Polkadot aims to offer a safe and decentralized web where the users are in control. We talked about this a little bit earlier and where that's enabled via interoperability. That means, again, permissionless networks and decentralized applications that free us from, from the monopolies of large institutions. So... I see that equilibrium aligns with this, with this interoperability, because our mission is to enable users to work with any digital assets instead of being limited to, to particular cryptocurrencies. So actually, you know, part of our vision is to create the number one DeFi app 
And what that means is that we want to empower users uh, to transact in the currencies that they want without concern for what currencies uh, the other party receives. This is, in fact, what Equilibrium is solving with its, with its cross-chain liquidity pools. So in this sense, we're furthering the goal of making DeFi as part of Web3 more decentralized and empowering the user, which I think is Polkadot's mission as well. And part of the value that Equilibrium brings to the Polkadot network and to DeFi uh, overall is that it's not only enabling cross-chain liquidity, but it also is backed by a very unique um, instrument. It's a risk algorithm that constantly monitors and maintains sustainable overall liquidity. And I think this is key because it enables really the decentralized use in a trustless way, which can prevent, obviously, some of the events that we've seen earlier um, that have been due to both um, technical glitches and also planning mechanisms. Like if you look at Black Thursday that happened this spring, right, when, well, when MakerDAO lost a lot uh, because of several unfortunate events that were happening at the same time. With a risk mechanism that ensures against that, uh, that kind of thing can be prevented. And I think that's a pretty powerful value proposition because, um, well, especially if you consider that crypto is, of course, very risky and volatile, and that maybe exactly because of the uncertainty of the times right now, digital assets have outperformed almost all other asset classes uh, this year. You know, they've outstripped classical investments like gold. So you want to be sure that if you invest in crypto, uh, you make it as risk-free as possible. So I would say that uh, that's part of our contribution, which which is also very unique. Yeah, uh, that's great. So like, what's your roadmap? I mean, where are you now? And then how do you see yourself rolling out this plan? In terms of our roadmap, we have just um, had our token generation event uh, very recently, which in fact is following the swap that we did, uh, which went very successfully. So for the users who have participated in that swap, in which we generated several million dollars, uh, we have released uh, the first tokens uh, that um, that they are receiving, aside, of course, from the vesting. And following that development, uh, we've released our testnet as well. We are progressing with our roadmap actually very well. We're intending uh, to start listings uh, quite soon. We're going to be lo- launching our main products like uh, our lending mechanism in the near future. It's actually projected for December. Yeah, so I think that uh, the next steps uh, are coming. And another thing that I'd love to mention is that, of course, in the context of Polkadot and the technology that we're building on, while we are a standalone blockchain, we also do intend to become a full-fledged parachain. And I think your users probably know very well right now what that is, but just to very quickly review, that means actually that the individual projects that are building on the substrate can connect uh, to one another to be part of the full-fledged ecosystem. And in that context, uh, there will be, of course, a series of pure chain auctions uh, and we intend to participate with an initial parachain auction to become a full-fledged member and resource of the uh, Polkadot ecosystem. So that's an event that's also going to be coming up, as I understand, uh, also um, in parallel to Polkadot's roadmap, probably quarter one of next year. So that's a very exciting event to look forward to. And we invite uh, everyone, the community, to to participate in that and, and to bid for for us. And we will be coming back, actually in our social media with more information on how you can do that. 
Yeah, that's we hope in quarter one next year, definitely. Um, and then the token swap and your testnet, those are uh, both on substrate-based chains now? Uh, yeah, that's we actually, like I said, um, have a standalone solution. Uh, so, of course, while we do intend to become a full-fledged peer chain, it's already uh, working in the, in the context of the testnet. And in fact, also, we've already completed the first bridge that we will be using uh, as an interim before Polkadot releases its own bridging so that we'll actually be able to use, you know, the products that we're offering and connect them to uh, Ethereum in the first instance without delay. Yeah, that's great progress. And we hope to see uh, a parachain in Q1, uh, both for you and for Polkadot. So We'll wrap it up there. Do you want to give any like social media or websites where people should follow Equilibrium? Absolutely. I would love to um, have you guys join on our social media and follow us. Uh, we have a Twitter account. Uh, we have, obviously, Equilibrium on, on Telegram. And, uh, of course, you can look for the website. The website is, is the easiest and fastest to find, www.equilibrium.io. And I think that, Joe, you can probably share the links to the Twitter and to the Telegram account afterwards in the, in the actual chat, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. We'll put the notes into the show notes or the links into the show notes. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much for, for your time and for the invitation. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Okay, great. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parody.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter. 